We do begin a three-week series today called Resurrecting. And it's all about how God takes people like you and I and um, can do extraordinary things. Uh, he can take people who are trapped in uh, things like loss or doubt or even death and literally breathe life into them. And from the beginning of time, God wants us to know that this is the way He works. This is what He's about. He's about resurrecting and bringing that which is dead back to life. And he tells this story over and over throughout the Word of God, all the way back to Abraham and Isaac. Isaac was delivered from the altar of death, which Abraham was going to inflict upon him. When he had been given up for death just three days earlier, his father began that journey up to Mount Moriah with him. The Israelites found themselves at the brink of the Red Sea three days after the Passover, where God parted the sea and delivered them, again, from certain death. He wants us to know that his story is a story of resurrecting people. Jonah, as we're going to see in just a few weeks, was thrown overboard during a great storm because he had disobeyed God. Certain death was inevitable again, but God sent this large fish to swallow him up. How long was he in the belly of the whale? Three days. Until he was resurrected from that tomb. Jesus crucified for the sins of the world, then on the first day of the week rose from the dead. By so doing has provided resurrection for our lives. He wants us to get this. He resurrects people. Jesus resurrects all kinds of things in our life. He resurrects hope from despair and life from death and peace from turmoil. He resurrects our faith when we doubt. He resurrects our joy when depressed. So what's your story? I hope you're taking the time to visit our story wall and take a picture of yourself and write a word. God is resurrecting. Jesus is resurrecting this in me. It could be a dream or a relationship, a job, maybe peace. Maybe it is joy. This series is to give us some biographical examples. We're going to look at three different people over these three weeks of how God takes loss, takes failure, takes sinfulness, and, and, and changes and resurrects and puts something to death so something new can be born, so that people can live the vision that God has for their life. Today we're going to look at Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is this mysterious woman who makes several appearances in Scripture. And to be honest, we don't really know all that much about her. And I've connected the word joy with Mary Magdalene to express that Christ resurrected Mary's life. He restored her from a place of really demon possession to freedom. And even though you don't see the word joy mentioned with her in her story, it is there profoundly in so many different ways. And before we look at her story, let me ask you, what is joy? If you had to define it, what would you say joy is? We often say that joy is this inner awareness, this awareness of the presence of Christ. It's, it's something that's not dependent on my circumstances, far different than happiness, which is dependent upon my circumstances. We can have joy in the midst of sorrow. 
James says to consider it all joy when you face what? <laughs> Trials and tribulations and problems because of the good work they do in our lives. Needless to say, joy is from somewhere else, some other place. It's not earthly. It's not worldly. It really makes no sense here because you can have it when you suffer. You can have it no matter what life throws at you. I've always been intrigued by the life of C.S. Lewis, his writings. He was an atheist, as you probably know, and uh, he was a deep thinker, a philosopher. He wanted to know the truth, and he went on a search for truth, and truth brought him to the foot of the cross and to faith in Jesus Christ. And he writes about his life change and his conversion and his experience of seeking after truth and finding Christ. And uh, he writes a book about it. It's an intriguing title to the book. The book is titled Surprised by Joy. There was something about joy in his life that was unexpected. He was seeking after knowledge. He was seeking after truth and those he got. But joy was unexpected. He has some marvelous quotes about joy. He says these things. He says, joy is the serious business of heaven. I sometimes wonder whether all pleasures are not our substitutes for joy. We seek to make ourselves happy in so many different ways. He writes this, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Mary Magdalene and joy. I just want us to get a flavor of her life um, as portrayed in Scripture. I'm going to bring you to many scenes here where she appears. It's a little bit of a jumping around scripture as we start here, but I want you to understand her story. Starting off with Luke 8 is where we first hear of her. It reads like this. Soon afterwards, he began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. And the twelve, the disciples, were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was also called... I mean, Mary, who was called Magdalene, she was from Magdala, a little village, from whom seven demons had gone out. From that passage, we realize that she traveled with Jesus after her conversion, that uh, he had freed her from demon possession. Some think that Mary was a prostitute, but there's really absolutely no support for that in Scripture. Over in John 19, 25, we now fast forward all the way to the cross. It says that in verse 25, Therefore the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So we know that she was near the cross when Jesus died. We, we know that she heard the words of Jesus. From the cross that he spoke. After Jesus died, over in Mark 15, 46, it says, Joseph bought a linen cloth, took him down, wrapped him in the linen cloth, and laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, were looking on to see where he was laid. 
So after the death of Jesus, she followed the body of Jesus so that she would know where he was laid to come back and give him a proper burial for which he deserved. And then in John 20 on Resurrection Day, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already rolled away from the tomb. And so she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. And we do not know where they've laid him. She and other women, she and other woman and other women came to the tomb early in the morning before sunup on the day after the Sabbath, that first day of the week. It was a small group of women who were first to the tomb where Jesus had been laid to rest, and uh, and they found it empty. Mary's hopes of giving Jesus this proper burial had been dashed, it appears. The natural thought was there must be a conspiracy afoot that stole away his body to prevent such an honor for him. If you read on there in John 20, verses 3 through 10, tell of Peter and John hearing the news and running to the tomb and seeing the tomb was empty. And then it says, and then they went home. Not Mary Magdalene. She remained at the tomb, the last place where she had seen the body of Jesus. And then we had this amazing encounter. Verse 11 of John 20. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stood and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying and they, the angel, said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. I want to stop right there. Isn't this a remarkable scene? I mean, how would you have responded to an angel? She sees two angels. And it's not anything about the angels. Her mind is still fixed where? <laughs> On him. So even an angel could not distract her. Tunnel vision for Christ. When she had said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus, his resurrected body. She didn't recognize him automatically. I love this conversation because it, so, it shows that Jesus and God have a hey. They have a flair for the dramatic. <laughs> he addresses her this way. Jesus says to her, woman, you got to understand, she's been going around with him. These are good friends. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? I think Jesus knew that she would think he was the gardener, right? He's getting ready to spring the news. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. <laughs> Jesus says to her one word. What is it? Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni. Which means teacher. 
Master. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me. So what did Mary do? She fell at his feet. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father. And get this, he says this to Mary Magdalene. I ascend to my Father and what? And your Father. I'm going to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. I wonder how she said it. And that he had said these things to her. And Mark 16, 9 kind of takes us from the beginning to the end with her. Now after he had risen early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. I mean, can you imagine having the distinction for all eternity to have been the first one to see the risen Christ? It wasn't Peter. It wasn't John. It wasn't any male. (laughs) The honor goes to a former demon-possessed woman. There's something special about Mary Magdalene and the relationship she had with Jesus because of what he had done in her life. The presence of joy is obvious. Looking at her life, the first point I would make is that joy is living free from the past. Aren't you glad we live free from the past? (laughs) Aren't you glad that that old us, that old us that was wrapped up in all of the sin, and that old us that was unforgiven, and that old us that was so selfish and wanted its own way, aren't you glad we're not that person anymore as a follower of Christ? Aren't you glad? I just praise the Lord for that. I praise the Lord that I have new life, new life that is His life. It's resurrected life. Mary had been demon-possessed. And Jesus came and he changed all of that. And uh, We see a lot of encounters with Jesus and demon-possessed people in the Scriptures. And the symptoms of demon possession can vary. And uh, sometimes they just act violent or insane. Mark tells us that there's one who deliberately mutilated himself with stones. Many times demon-possessed people have physical infirmities. They might be blind or deaf or unable to speak or they're prone to fits or seizures. They were in this bondage. They were under the control of an evil spirit. It afflicted them. They're often referred to as afflicted people. In fact, in every biblical situation that we see a demon-possessed person, the person is portrayed as a person having an affliction. Oh, sinful activity, superstitious activity, occult activity can open the doorway. But these people are primarily tormented people. They're regarded as outcasts, miserable, sorrowful, lonely, heartsick, pitiable creatures. That was Mary Magdalene ordinary person could do anything with her. 
was a prisoner. One day, I'm not sure how it happened, Jesus passed her way and his divine power from his father delivered her from all of that. And in a moment's time, he broke this hold that the demon or Satan had over her. He gave her a new life. He set her free. And this transformation was so radical, so complete, so life-changing, that Mary Magdalene left everything, followed him, joined the entourage, went from village to village, city to city, and became known as the former demon-possessed woman that Christ has completely delivered. A trophy of grace, if you will. We all have a story to tell, don't we? I remember back a few years ago, we were doing a sermon series, and um, we asked people to write two words or phrases on a card, much like we're doing with this storyboard out here. Uh, They were fill in the blank of this one sentence. And the sentence went like this. I once was blank, but now I am blank. I've kept those cards. Here's some of the responses we received way back then, probably seven or eight years ago. I once was hopeless, and now I'm hopeful. Was despised and restless. Now peace, love, joy. Was lost and now found and full of joy. Was violent, drunk. Now quit drinking, loving, and humble. I was guilty and shameful. Now I'm victorious. Was living a life for me and now living, leaving a legacy. Was lukewarm. Oh, now I'm hot. Oh, was legalistic. Now filled with grace. If any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old is where? It's gone. And the new has come. There's joy in living free from the past. You know, joy is also living free from others' expectations. (laughs) You do that, right? You live free from others' expectations, right? I mean, think of Mary Magdalene, her willingness to buck the cultural trends of the day, and uh, she was going to join the new rabbi's entourage, and uh, that was just unheard of for a woman. Why are all these women with Jesus? This wasn't the proper thing to do. It would have brought criticism. It would have brought ridicule. I can just imagine someone approaching Mary while she's on the way to the next town where Jesus will be speaking, and the person tells Mary how inappropriate it is for women all these women, to be part of this ministry team. Does this argument, you think, resonate with Mary Magdalene? (laughs) I don't really think she cares. All she knows is once I was lost, and now I'm found. And he did it. (laughs) Once she was blinded by the demons of the past, and now she sees the reality of his love for her. (laughs) 
She remembers how bad it was before Jesus. And how utterly amazing his love is now. And it really doesn't matter if you bring ridicule or criticism upon me. I'm with him. And I think sometimes in our modern ways, perhaps we lose a little bit of our understanding or we forget or we minimize the miraculous work that Christ has done in our life so that we can just say to anybody who might bring ridicule or criticism, I'm with him. He changed my life. I remember growing up in Denver, uh, our youth group would often go to Youth for Christ rallies back then. They had them once a month, one Saturday a month. There'd probably be a thousand high school kids there every month. And uh, oh, they'd have great bands come in. They'd have world-class speakers. I remember hearing Corey Ten Boom tell of what it was like to live in a Nazi prison camp and how Jesus used her there. And uh, it was just amazing. You ever seen Corey Ten Boom in person? Wow. I remember uh, hearing Nicky Cruz. Does that name bring familiar to you? He was there one night. He tells about how he uh, grew up in the gang culture of New York and on the streets and how. God radically changed his life. I think it's David Wilkerson's ministry. Every month I'd hear all these amazing stories, one after another, how God freed demon-possessed people, much like Mary Magdalene, freed murderers from the grip of their sin, the worst of the worst. And you know what I would often think as I would come away from those experiences? My life is so boring. It's so boring. Here I am. Uh, I'm just your regular old high school kid. Maybe I should go do some drugs or join a gang. or I need to spice up my testimony a little bit, right? I'm just this typical Christian kid who does his best at being good. And I became a Christian when I was 14. Maybe my story is that God radically saved me from a life of being rude to my sisters. He radically saved me from that occasional cuss word that would slip out. Or I was so selfish. What a story. They'd line up for that one, right? I think my problem was I really didn't see my past as all that bad. And because I never really understood how free I was in Christ, how totally depraved I really was, how much in the same boat with stories and the Nikki Cruises of the world, how I was in the same boat with them. Yeah, the behavior could be different, but I was as lost as lost could be. But I would I would attempt to mix Jesus in with the, the fairly good self that I thought I was, and I I tried to make all that work. And it wasn't until I was a lot older that I realized how empty, how incapable The flesh was. My flesh. And how the realization came to me how much he had saved me from. And the transformation that he had worked in my soul. And when that gripped my heart, it no longer became about my story. It was all about what story is he writing in me. You see, Mary knew different from the start, doesn't she? 
She wanted no part of the demon-possessed former life. She was free and now enveloped fully by the life of Christ Jesus. She just couldn't bear to be apart. Opinions, other people's opinions just didn't matter. She had this spiritual fruit of joy and freedom. You know, think about it. Joy, this understanding of the peace that passes understanding, this understanding of the life of Christ so real and vibrant in your life and where, to the point where nothing else matters. Joy liberates you from self. It liberates you from self-protection and self-exaltation. And you just kind of forget about it. Tim Keller wrote a book. I just, I'm just going to give you the title. The title is The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. <laughs> the Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And he has a byline. The subtitle is The Path to True Christian Joy. The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness is the Path to True Christian Joy. Joy is simply living close to Jesus. He's the source of it. His presence is where it is. Mary Magdalene is the person in the story. As I read through those scriptures, she's the person in Jesus' life, in the story that stays close to Jesus. Even when he's dead, she's close to him. She's there at the cross with him. She's with him there, close to him, it says. Once he dies, she follows Joseph when he takes the body from the cross to the tomb. She's still with Jesus. She's the one who gets there before dawn on that first day of the week to anoint the body. She is the one that Jesus chooses to appear first to. She is the person who hears the first words of Jesus after the resurrection. She is the first person to proclaim the gospel of the resurrected Christ. She is the person that hears the risen Christ say her name. It's as if Mary Magdalene had one thing on her mind, right? Jesus. She wanted to walk beside him when he ministered, hear him teach, see him heal. She wanted to be where he was. Psalm 1611 couldn't make it more clear. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence, God, is what? The fullness of joy. And in your right hand, there are pleasures forever. You could draw the conclusion that you cannot be where Jesus is and lack joy. So it's about proximity. It's about spiritual proximity. Be near me, Lord Jesus. Living close to Jesus. I understand how he thinks. I begin to understand what he believes. I begin to understand how he works. I understand how he speaks and what his voice sounds like. What his spirit's communication to me is like. 
Mary hears Jesus say her name, and she knew how he said it. That's what gave him away. Drama over. I know it's you, Jesus. <laughs> Makes me think of John 10. Jesus is talking about being our good shepherd. He says this in verse 3, To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Jesus knows your name, right? When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because why? <laughs> they know his voice. They know how he says their name. Have you heard Jesus say your name? I understand the conversation here with Mary Magdalene and Jesus there after the resurrection. and. Um, because there have been a few times when I've been praying and trying to get God's attention. You ever pray in a way to try to get his attention? You, you, you're somewhat dramatic and you spell it out for him how desperate the situation is and how he really needs to get kind of with it here. Tell me where you've taken him. I need to go find him. Or do you know the situation I face? I could really use some answers. I'm frustrated, confused, I'm discouraged. Please, Lord, what can you do to help? Dave. And everything changes, doesn't it? That's the way he says it. It's like a, it's like a father calming a anxious child. It's like a dad saying, what you're talking about is really not all that you think it is. When Mary hears, hears him say her name, it's, it's really over. It's all she needs to hear. She falls to his feet. She clings. And I thought about you this morning as I was thinking about this passage and this scene at the, at, at the tomb, the empty tomb, and and maybe you're here today, you, you would just like to, to get God to listen to your concerns because you really need Him to provide some answers or some healing or, or you need Him to go do something in a situation or whatever. You're desperate for Him to do something. And I would say what you need more than anything else is for Jesus to just call your name. I'll let you know that He hears, that you're His, that He cares. Come into his presence because it's there that the fullness of joy is. This thing, joy, it's the advantage we have over the world, folks. It's our advantage. You can't get to me. I'm filled with the joy of the Lord. <laughs> it keeps us living in this new resurrection. It keeps us solidly secure purely anchored to the life of Christ, the resurrected life of Christ, and keeps us from the tendency to slip back into the old patterns. It's joy where we are like her at the foot of the cross. Joy is always searching for Him. I want to know what He thinks about this relationship. I want to know what He thinks about this situation. I want to know what He thinks about this job opportunity. I want, I want to know what it is that Jesus thinks. Joy is the inextinguishable benefit of the presence of God. 
I don't know, maybe there's people here today that just need a little resurrection of joy in their life. Let's pray together. Father, in our modern way, we have so compartmentalized so much of our spiritual journey with you and uh, joy is some theological idea that we can debate or we can talk about and uh, love, yeah, it's over here and we got peace and we got uh, gentleness and long-suffering and we got all the fruit of the Spirit and uh, there's times where we pull this and use that and focus on that and this and and Father, there's just this there's this overwhelming sense that I get from studying Mary Magdalene's life and the, the passages that there's a constancy of joy that you intend for us as your people. And it's not just so that we can feel good and be happy. I understand that. It's, it's the joy that carries us through the trials and the tribulations. It's the joy that comforts us in our sorrow. It's the reality and the realization of knowing that there is something beyond this life. That there is hope, undying hope. It cannot be robbed from me. It's that joy, that presence that allows those things to take root in our life, to, to grow and to flourish and to lead us into ways in which we can make decisions based upon the joy of the Lord and not the fear of the future. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just enwrap us in your presence because it's your joy that is poured out in the midst of it. Father, make us people of joy. It is so filled with joy that, that, like the song says, we shout for joy. We just can't contain it. There's just something about us that has set us free, and we want everybody to know. That's the life of Mary Magdalene. I thank you, Father, for her story. We praise you. We worship you. We honor you. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.